Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. It's good to linger with him, isn't it? We do that in song, and we do that in the Word. Um, and that's what we're going to do now. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We are going to finish Romans 8 today. Believe it or not. Uh, if you're new to Res Church, I want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. We, uh, we love to welcome new people to Res Church. And so if you are new, maybe this is your first or second time, we want you to know how honored we are that you're here. And so let's clap for our guest Res Church this morning. Let them know we're glad. A church is a family, but we're always welcoming new members. Amen. The Lord adds to our number, and we're so grateful for that. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to pick up at verse 28. No, I'm not going to teach through all of that again, but I want us to get the context of the end of the chapter. So I'm going to start at 28 and read to the end, and then we'll back up and talk about it. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how could he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we say amen? Amen. So Paul starts with verse 28, for those who love God, called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. Two questions. Let me do a little bit of review. Who are those who love God? Who are those people? And what is the good that all things are working together for? All right, two questions by way of review. Who is it that loves God? Paul tells us in verses 29 and 30. Those who love God are those whom God foreknew. And we talked about foreknowledge. It doesn't just mean that God looks down through the portals of time and learns stuff. If you're the author of knowledge, you don't learn things. So for God to foreknow means God chose. So those who love God are those who are chosen. 
those who are determined. And he goes on to say, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So those who love God have been chosen and have been predestined, an end has been determined that they will be conformed to the image of Christ. And in order to secure that, he called those he chose, and that calling was effectual for justification. Unrighteous people become righteous by faith, by grace through faith. He called, he justified, and then Paul says he glorified. So those who love God have been foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. That sounds great, doesn't it? So what's the good that all things are working together for? The good is the predetermined end. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So those who love God, foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified, and the good of God's purpose that all things, everybody say all things. That means hard and happy pleasurable and painful, all things are working together for that good. If you are in Christ, if you love God, you will be conformed to his image. Now let me ask another question. Why is it our good that we be conformed to the image of Christ? Why is that good? Is that good? I mean, remember when your parents told you to eat vegetables? And they put some green mess in front of you on your plate and your face, your lips turned inside out and you were, and they, what, what did they say to you? Is that what God's doing? Hey, I know life's hard, but this is good for you. And we're like, oh, come on, man. Is it conformity to the image of Christ just like eating vegetables or what? what, what why is that good for me? Let me say two things about that, okay? It's good. The good of our conformity to the image of Christ is this. We have been predestined for everlasting happiness. Your conformity, the fact that God predetermined that you would be conformed to the image of his son means that God has secured for you everlasting joy. What did Paul say, verses 16 and 17 of Romans 8? He said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What does that mean? It means if we've been chosen and predestined to conformity to his, the image of his son, we are heirs of God. In other words, our inheritance in the end is God. We get him. And that is good. And you know that, don't you? Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? How many of you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, huh? He is good. We know that. But there's a little question there, isn't there? Because we have yet to enjoy his goodness fully and forever, right? So what are these tastes that we get now pointing us to? Psalm 1611. 
You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The taste that we get now, the appetizer we get now is pointing us to the fact that in his presence will be joy that lacks nothing. Woo! Pleasures forevermore. But we're not quite there yet, are we? This is where we talk about the fact that the Christian life in many ways is an already but not yet. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children tomorrow, now, right? We're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But it's coming. We're tasting, right? But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So the first reason why it's good, it's our good that we be conformed to the image of Christ is that when that conformity is fully realized, so too will be joy everlasting. That's what we're all after, isn't it? We're all, well, two of you are after joy. That's what we're after, right? We want joy, and God has secured that for us. Here's the second reason why our conformity to the image of Christ is our good. When that conformity is fully realized, futility, suffering, and death will be no more. Romans 8, verse 20, we've read it. For the creation was subjected to futility or uselessness or a loss of purpose, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for Adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, or the full conformity to the image of Christ. So why are we groaning for that? You groan. I groan. There's an inward groan in all of us. We share it with creation, Paul says. And you may not have known how to put words to it or describe it or, or really tell somebody what it is. But the scripture's telling you, it's a groan, it's a longing for the futility to be done away with. And here's what Paul is saying, is that when our conformity to the image of Christ is fully realized, all that futility is gone, so is suffering and death. Look at this. Somebody said this is the loudest passage in all the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead and dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. He's talking about our conformity. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Hallelujah. That's why it's good that God is conforming us to the image of Christ. 
that conformity is our everlasting joy in God and the final victory over suffering and death. And we've got to know this. We've got to know this because Paul comes to the question in verse 31. What do we say to all that? What do we say? And he gives five rhetorical questions. We looked at four of them last week to answer his question. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What's the answer? No one. If God didn't spare his precious son, how will he not graciously give us all things? What's the answer? He will. Don't look to circumstances. Know the truth. He will. If God justifies, who can bring a charge against us? Nobody. If Christ died, was raised, is seated at the right hand of God and interceding for us, who could condemn us? Nobody. Now here comes the fifth question. Verse 35, Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Let's make sure we understand the question. Because Paul is not asking, will Christ ever stop loving us? That's not the question. That's not what, that's not the potential doubt that the question is addressing. It's not, will Christ ever stop loving us? It's, could anybody or anything get in the way of Christ's love towards us? Could anybody or anything stop the flow of Christ's love into our lives experientially? That's the question he's asking. And then to make sure that we know what he's talking about, he gives some examples. He mentions tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. It's interesting to me. I don't know if you noticed this, but he starts the question with who. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he proceeds to list a bunch of what's. Do you notice that? Who, and then here's a bunch of what's. Why does he do that? I don't know if I have a concrete answer, but this is what I think. Paul, Paul has this common literary tactic where he personifies inanimate things to help us identify with what he's saying. You know this because he talks about sin as a power and a force at work in the world, doesn't he? Right? He talks about creation groaning. And so he takes these things that he lists and he almost personifies them with the word who because here's what we know. These things feel like real enemies to us, don't they? Like there are times when we go through hardships and calamity and it feels like an army, like a great nation has put together all of its military force and marched out in front of us and is attempting to get in the way of Christ's love expressed to us. He mentions tribulation. That word means extreme pressure. Anybody identify with that? Mentions distress. Word means outward affliction that creates inward turmoil. You ever faced inward turmoil? Persecution, opposition, marginalization, oppression, censorship, attacks, torture, all because of our stand with Christ. Famine. Anybody hungry? 
You ever been hungry? Ever lacked food? Nakedness. I think it's another way of talking about poverty, a lack of ability to clothe ourselves properly. Danger, discomfort, or a general lack of safety. Or sword, we know what that is. It's death, martyrdom, dying for the name of Christ. This is huge. Is Paul saying that the love of Christ will prevent these things from ever happening in our lives? Is he saying that the love of Christ will always protect us from experiencing these kinds of things? Some people think that. That if I'm experiencing this, I must not be loved by Christ. Because if Jesus was loving me right now, I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through. You ever felt that question come up in in you? Like maybe I've done something wrong because Christ's love, if it's secure, and if I haven't done anything to mess it up, I shouldn't be going through this. And the next verse just shatters that notion, doesn't it? Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a quote from Psalm 44. I want to look at the context of that. So if you want to turn to Psalm 44, let's look at where Paul got that from. It's in verse 22. Let's back up to verse 17. Look at what he says. He says, all this, I'll wait because y'all turn in. I love that. He says, all of this has come upon us. Now watch this. Though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant, our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. Lord, we didn't do anything, and we're dying. If we had forgotten the name of of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would God not discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I think Paul quotes this psalm for two reasons. One is that I think he wants us to understand that these things... Tribulation, distress, hardship, persecution, danger, famine, nakedness, sword. These things are part of a normal Christian experience. That's hard for us in America to get our minds around, but we we best in America, if we're going to live under the authority of Scripture, if we're going to embrace the gospel for what it is, we best get our minds around the fact that the comfort, ease, and relative security that we experience in America is anomaly. It's an anomaly in terms of human history, and it's an anomaly in terms of our present and the conditions that many Christians face around the world today. These things are normal. It's not that something's wrong if you're experiencing this. Because that's the second reason he mentions it, is that sometimes, do we sometimes make bad decisions and bring hardship on ourselves? Absolutely. But you might be suffering 
through no fault of your own. But Bradley, if I didn't mess it up, if I didn't do something to get in the way, or if there's not some force or person or power that has the ability to get in the way of Christ's love for me, remember that's the question he's asking. Can someone or something get in the way, block the flow, dam up the river of God's or Christ's love to me? If I didn't do anything wrong, Hasn't God promised to provide for me, to protect me? What's going on? Look at Matthew 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, this is Jesus talking, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? That sounds a lot like Romans 8, doesn't it? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Sounds like famine in Romans 8. What are we going to wear? Sounds like nakedness in Romans 8. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then the great promise, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Sounds like Paul in Romans 8. If God did not spare his own son, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? It's a really important question. What do we do with the same Bible telling us that if we seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added, that God who did not spare his own son will graciously give us all things, and then at the same time telling us that we may in this life, through no fault of our own, God's not mad at us, God's not punishing us, nothing has gotten in the way of his love, and yet we still walk through famine, distress, nakedness, sword, and the like. What do we do with that? This is where we as Christians, we must have, we must have a biblically rooted theology of suffering. We must have a biblically rooted theology of suffering. In other words, We must have a category in our minds. If we're going to live under the authority of Scripture, we must have a category in our minds for God-willed, God-ordained, God-allowed hardship. Because according to Paul in Romans 8, When we experience such things, this is the key, connect the dots. When we experience such things, nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing has gotten in the way of Christ's love for us. We might experience it, but Paul said, you must know, you must know with absolute certainty That even though you're going through hard things, Jesus has not stopped loving you and nothing has gotten in the way of his love for you. Because here's what we know. Put all the pieces together. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things work together for, and that good is the conformity, our conformity to the image of Christ. And what God has promised 
is that whatever we need to that end, he will provide. And so we anchor to that hope. We anchor to that hope knowing that God has promised us whatever we need to that end, he will provide. Nothing's going to stop his purpose. So I may not be able to understand it all right now. I might not be able to reconcile in my mind why this is happening to me, why I am going through this, why am I experiencing such sorrow and opposition? Why does, this, why does it seem like though God has promised to provide for my needs that I'm facing lack everywhere? Here's what we've got to know first. God has not stopped loving you and nothing can get in the way of his love for you. That's the first piece to a biblically rooted theology of suffering. And now Paul's going to give us the next piece, and this is awesome. Verse 37. No. <laughs> Everybody say no. Doesn't it feel good to just say that word sometimes? No. No what, Paul? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation, distress, hardship, persecution, famine, naked, dangerous, sword. No, a thousand times no, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. But instead, what? In all these things, we are, come on, say it like you mean it. It's all right to talk back to me at Res Church. More than conquerors. That word means super conqueror. Hypa or hypo, which one is it? Conqueror. What's the difference between a conqueror and a super conqueror? Don't you want to know that? I'm going to tell you. A conqueror defeats his enemies and kills them. A super conqueror makes his enemies his servants. A super conqueror makes his enemies bow their knees and serve his purpose. You say in church, we got to have a theology of suffering, and people just kind of go, oh, gosh, man, that's like, that's worse than eating vegetables, man. This is why we treasure hunt in the scriptures, because not only does the Bible tell us that when we suffer, Christ has not stopped loving us. Nothing's gotten in the way of his love for us. It also tells us that our pain has become the servant of God for our conformity to the image of Christ. The enemies we face, distress, hardship, persecution, sickness, when we experience sorrow in relationships and loss, when we look around and we feel like we lack, not only do we know that nothing's gotten in the way of Christ's love, but all of those things are serving our good, the good of his purpose. So when we suffer, we don't lose hope. We don't even lose joy. We're not masochists. We don't love the pain. But what we love is the fact that God has made all of our enemies his servants. 
When we talk about the sovereignty of God, this is what we believe is that God rules over all. The kingdoms of this earth will be the kingdoms of our God. God is the God who accomplishes all his purpose. He determines the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46. So every ounce of pain, listen, folks, if we could get our minds around this, life's not all bad. Certainly there are plenty of joys. There are times of abundance. He leads us beside the still waters. He leads us into green pastures. But he also leads us through the valleys of the shadow of death for his name's sake. Because when the Christians, when the children of God, when the chosen, when the called, when the predestined, when the justified and the glorified raise their voices in praise and thanksgiving, even in the midst of sorrow, what testimony is given? Our God is greater than all that the enemy could throw at us. Our God has defeated the power of sin and death. Whom shall we fear? If God is for us. And then he gives the the great benediction to the greatest chapter in the Bible, in my opinion. Verse 38. For I am sure, having weighed all the evidence gone through a process of persuasion, and I've come to a settled conclusion. I am sure that what? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which says to me, whatever I'm going through, God is loving me. Whatever I'm facing Christ is loving me, and it is serving my good. And I'm sure of this, convinced. Paul starts to broaden things, and he says, I'm sure that neither death nor life, whether I live or whether I die, whether my loved one lives or whether they die, nothing's going to separate me from the love of Christ, God in Christ Jesus. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 20? As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Didn't Jesus say, don't fear those who can kill the body? You know, Christians are dying all over the world every day. They're being killed by by those who oppose Christ and the gospel. Are they being loved by God? Come on, think about it for a minute. Are they being loved by Him? I don't want to beat us up. But I don't want us to have shallow theology either. We've gotten so used to our comfort that if we experience even the slightest little bit of pain, we get scared and start to question the love of God. 
What about when a terrorist puts a knife to your throat? That's real, folks. I'm not trying to be theatrical. That's real. You know, Paul is writing in a day where it was incredibly uncomfortable to be a Christian. Incredibly uncomfortable. We put Jesus bumper stickers all over our cars and, and we drive down the road and we struggle not to flip people off when they cut us off, right? I mean, it's just like we, we live in this little comfort zone that I'm not despising. I'm thankful for it. But I don't want it to lull me to sleep. I don't, I don't want it. You know, the Bible says this all the time. Wake up, O oh sleeper. I don't want my pain tolerance for the sake of Christ to be informed by the American dream. If I lose it all, what would it, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? We're just trying to get to retirement, aren't we? I mean, let's, let's just build the retirement account up enough. Maybe Social Security will hang around long enough and we can pay our bills and, you know, have a relatively easy death. That's what we're after. But Paul says, if you could take all the wealth, every last dollar known to man, compile it all up, gain all of that and lose your soul. What good is that? This life is a breath, isn't it? Let's not get lulled to sleep. Let's let the scripture inform it. Whether death or life, it's not going to separate me from the love of Christ. What about the what about the devil, Bradley? He says, angels, rulers, and powers. That's talking about demonic forces, even Satan himself. What, what about when the devil comes at me? You remember, remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? 2 Corinthians 12, I think. Paul's thorn in the flesh. You know what he called it? A messenger from Satan. And he pleaded with God to take it pleaded with him. And what was God's response? Paul, this thorn, doesn't matter where it came from. From Satan, okay. It's become a means of grace where I'm going to perfect my power in your weakness. Remember Judas? Satan put it in his heart to betray Jesus. And he was killed, wasn't he? And his death became our salvation. Not even Satan himself and all the forces of hell can stop the love of Christ to you or his good purpose in your life to conform you to the image of his son. What about the present and the future? That's nerve-wracking, isn't it? You ever have those fantasies where you're like, you're living in the present moment, and you think about your life, and you kind of size it all up, right? You just you you look at everything, and then you start to go back into in your mind 
to a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and you fantasize, man, if I knew then what I know now, I would be deadly boy, right? Like you get, you, you just sort of blow it up in your mind. Like if I, if I could go back and do it over with the knowledge that I have now, the, the, the questions of the present and the future, and then we weigh our past, it just, sometimes it can just overwhelm us and even cripple us with fear. I was talking with somebody just this morning. Bradley, what if I miss it? What if I don't discern the future rightly? What about all these questions out in front of me, these opportunities? Well, they could be opportunities. They could be distractions. When I weigh my present and I start to think about what's ahead of me, and then I think about the mistakes that I've made in the past, sometimes I get crippled by that, and I'm not sure what to do, and I don't want to be led by fear. The present nor the future will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will be conformed to the image of His Son. What about heights and depths? Those are astrological terms. You you ever just looked up at the sky and felt small? Forget the sky. You go to the ocean. You go to the Grand Canyon. You go to the mountains. And if you stop and think about it for a minute, we just start to feel so small. The heights and the depths. Psalm 139, verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, there's the height. You are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, that's the depths, you're there too. In other words, Paul is saying, a star at its zenith, at its height, neither that nor when a galaxy collapses in on itself and becomes the biggest black hole ever, neither one has the power to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, you feel small. I feel small too. But God rules over all the big. He holds the universe in the palm of his hands. He breathed and those stars were put in place. And then, after considering the heights and the depths, it's almost like Paul says, all right, I'm going to abandon all specifics now. I'm just going to say, Nothing else in all of creation. That is so powerful. Don't rush past that. This is an issue of power. God is creator, and everything else is creation. Creation has no power alongside its creator. Everything that's not God Everything that's not God was made by Him. Right? Your body, right? The world, the earth, the atmosphere, the solar system, the planets, the sun, the people around you, 
the people that hurt you in the past, people that damaged you and led you into places and into things that, man, if you could go back and undo them. Nations, military powers, even Satan himself and the demons of hell. They are all creation. What does John 1 tell us? Nothing was made except that which was made by him. Nothing came into being on its own. And so what does that tell us? No matter what I walk through, what I go through, what I face, nothing will separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. I don't, you guys seem to like the song we sang earlier. Um, it's a little different, isn't it? It's, we do, it is, you know. We had fun with that in practice, trying to make sure we get those words right. Because if you, mess, you mix those up in the verses, that gets kind of squirrely, doesn't it, you know? But you know what I love about this song? Even if it feels weird to you musically, don't you hear Romans 8? Don't you hear that? Is all creation groaning? Yeah. Do we need to remind ourselves that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? We do. And despite what I might be facing right now, is He worthy? He is. He is. So we're going to sing it again. And I just invite you to rehearse the truth and let the Holy Spirit lead you in that. Because we should be coming to the end of Romans 8 with a holy boldness, confidence, joy. It says, you know what? God has chosen me. He secured my destiny to be conformed to the image of His Son. He's done something amazing in my heart and life, and I love Him. And not only are all things working together for good, the good of His purpose, but even my enemies are becoming my servants. They're becoming the servants of God in my life for me to be conformed to the image of His Son in which I will experience everlasting joy and suffering and death will be no more. Amen? Stand with me. Lord, I... feel this often and I feel this just inadequacy that how do I even how do I even talk about this how do I even preach this how, how do I even speak words about these words and it not just makes sense but it actually transform and renew our minds how does that even happen it only happens by your spirit 
So maybe, maybe seeds were sown in the teaching today and in the reading of your word. And I ask, Holy Spirit, now that you would water them. You would cause them to grow and bear much fruit, not just right now in this moment as we sing, but as we leave here today, as we go out into this world as your people, proclaiming your name and your goodness. Jesus, amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.